Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. Listeners, you can support the continued growth of the show by hitting that subscribe button. If you enjoy the content we're producing here, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So Black Friday, Cyber Monday is on our doorstep. And today is my chat with Jacob Sappington, which just aired a couple of weeks ago on Shopify Masters. Jacob is the director of email strategy at Homestead, a growth agency based in the US. He has worked alongside some giant D2C brands, and he's really the go-to for amplifying customer excitement for any e-commerce business. And in this episode, we dive into all things e-commerce, really, and talk about opting into marketing communication, what strategies he's recommending to his clients for the holidays and beyond, how to leverage channels like email and SMS for boosting conversions, what systems and tools he thinks are best in class, and so much more. So with that intro out of the way, let's get to it. Here is that conversation with Jacob Sappington. Okay, Jacob, so you're at Homestead, which is a retention conversion campaign management agency. You're overseeing a, a ton of, of brands in the DTC e-com world. Um, I was just wondering, how did you get into this space? Like, how did you become this D2C email marketing guy? Yeah, so a couple of years back, I was the manager of retention at a holding company called 4x400. Um, I'd been there for a year. We, we had five brands at the time. I had my sights set on opening up my own agency. And I, I knew Zach in the Twitter community that I'm a part of. Zach's the founder of Homestead. And I reached out to him. I said, Zach, you know, I'd like to start my own agency. Do you do any consulting? Because at the time and still today, Homestead had a really good reputation as like this up and coming agency. And so I said, Zach, I, I know that you've had a lot of success here. I'd love to um, book a consulting call. Do you, do you offer this? And he said, no, I don't. But I, I have a, another idea that we should talk about. And so I reached out to him trying to, uh, to learn more about, you know, how to run an agency, agency ops, all that stuff. And then he pitched me on why I should join Homestead. And so it was a really, really hard decision and one that I'm really happy that I went with. That's a great story, actually. Uh, and you're still there. So proof is in the pudding. So plenty of brands are ramping up marketing efforts heading into Black Friday. In thinking about the proper execution of these upcoming promotional campaigns, sequences, and we will get into the weeds on all this stuff during this podcast. But from a high level, what are some of the best practices merchants should start with? Yeah, uh, I mean, the big thing here would be focusing on your list growth. You should be focusing on it prior to this time frame, but it's also a great time whenever you see this huge influx in traffic to, to be focusing on that list growth component. But then also just accepting that like during this time frame, you can be a little bit more aggressive with your campaign sends. You can send to a broader audience and not trying to take it too refined. Like I think some people segment too, too fine and they're leaving out people who are on their list that they could potentially sell to as well. Mm -hmm. So when you say 
merchants can get more aggressive this time of year. Are you talking about the number of emails that a merchant could send uh, during a sequence or during a campaign? Yeah, I'm talking about the the number of campaigns that get sent, but also the number of people that are sending too within those campaigns. For example, we're recommending for all of our brands to send um, three emails on Black Friday, uh, multiple emails on Cyber Monday, um, multiple texts on Cyber Monday as well. And so throughout the rest of the year, we're not recommending for brands to really double up on multiple emails a day to the same people. But during this time frame, one, we're dealing with increased competition in the inbox. And so to stand out, we kind of have to, but also the the volume of people as well. So like during this time frame, we're ramping up our segments. So if if normally, like just as an example, if we were going with like 150, 180 day engaged segment, maybe we're pushing that up to like 165, 180, 210, seeing the bounds of like how broad can we go without hurting our deliverability. And then even like leading into like BFCM, it's like, bringing in like BFCM purchasers from last year, the year prior, maybe taking those engagement segments even further. It, it really depends on like how big the the brand's list size is. But for like smaller brands, I would, I would definitely encourage them to to effectively go like full list send with some like um, some proper exclusions in there around purchasers, uh, some like unengaged criteria. But for the most part, like being really aggressive with who you're sending to. The phrase that I frequently use with our team, with our clients is that we, we send reputably like 362 days out of the year so that for three days out of the year, we can be a little bit crazy. Um, so again, like mm. leading up to this, it's really important for us to maintain our deliverability and make sure that we can stick in the inbox with these users. Um, but then once we get there, it's, it's definitely a much more aggressive play. So when you say maintain deliverability and stick in the inbox, is this because you're finding that a lot of emails end up in the spam filters or, or get caught there? Like, how do you warm up a list? How do you maintain that that sort of whitelist status? How do you get into that inbox? So if a user has Apple privacy features enabled, effectively what happens when the email comes into their inbox, it's automatically opened. Um, and currently we don't have the ability to distinguish a bot open from a real open with 100% accuracy. What systems do now is they say, if a campaign is open within seconds of its sending, that signifies bot behavior to us. And so what happens is a lot of brands aren't segmenting these attributes out until they get to where their open rates are just incredibly inflated, 60%, 70%, 80% open rates. It's just incredibly dirty data. And, and people who are in their accounts think they have this really high open rate when in actuality they, they don't. And so what we do is we use that segmentation to have a cleaner picture of where our open rates lie. And then once we do that, we're really looking for our open rates to stay in the 35 to 40% open range. If a brand's hitting 35%, then I'm starting to get concerned because that's probably pre-iOS 15, it's probably more of like a 20% open rate, maybe maybe lower mm -hmm. than that. Um, and so the the tricky thing about deliverability is that so much of it is kind of you know best practices of the industry. We don't fully know what leads to um, people getting in spam across the different inboxes. And so there's, um, there's assumptions that we have to make. Um, and so one assumption that we're making is that when we're dealing with this clean data set, that a 35 to 40% open rate keeps us in the inbox, keeps us from getting flagged as spam. And so, yeah, the, the intent there is maintain deliverability in a way that we're confident that we can send to enough people without hurting our ability to get into the inbox. Um, and that's drives the, the most revenue that we can. So you mentioned two things that I just jotted down I want to double click on. The first is segmenting out properly. The second being getting clean data. Um, is this a question of, of just using the right system, for example, you mentioned Clavio. Is this the system to best segment one's data and to get to clean data? Is there another strategy or tactic here? Um, 
I would say that Clavio represents a, a great solution for this. Um, they are an ESP, but really more than anything, I kind of view them as a data platform that ingests data from a bunch of different sources. You know, obviously they have a deep integration with Shopify, and so we're able to get down several layers deep into the metadata to understand that piece. We can bring in data from any number of review platforms, from help desk platforms. And so because it is able to ingest that data so cleanly, it does make a great solution for a lot of brands. The big thing with the clean data is just filtering out people whose only engagement with us is that Apple privacy open. And so the way that we approach this is that we have many criteria that we determine to be engaged. So it's anything from like someone who just recently signed up, being opens, clicks, being on site, viewing products, adding to cart, starting a checkout, all these different factors that we take into it. And what we're saying is that if someone's only engagement with us is this bot open, then we don't want to include them in our engage segments. The flip side of that is that there are real humans on the other side of that who will eventually click and purchase if we give them the opportunity to. So we're, we're trying to balance this blend of segmenting cleanly while not engaging with people who might not be actually engaging with us. And so one way that we work around this is that once or twice a month, whatever we deem to be the most high intent campaigns of that month, maybe it's a, a sale launch, maybe it's a sale last call, maybe it's a product launch. We are open to bringing in those users who are only showing us bot traffic or who are only showing the bot opens. And so that allows us again to make sure that we're not losing out on revenue. Cause again, there are users on the other side of that that are engaging, but we just can't currently tell to what extent. When you are looking at some of the merchants that you are supporting as an agency, yep. what are the biggest mistakes you see some of these e-commerce companies doing when it comes to email marketing, both with respect to Black Friday and also in general? Yeah, I would say for Black Friday, the, the biggest thing is just not enough emails, just not being aggressive enough, which is kind of that piece I touched on earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so not being aggressive enough, both in terms of volume of, of campaigns and, and the total number of people that they're sending to. In general, we see the segmentation issue a lot. Like a lot, a lot of times we'll see brands who have great looking emails. There's great copywriting behind it, great design. The thought process behind them is, is well Thought, thought out. And then you look at it and they're sending to like a 30-day engaged audience. And so our thought process on this is that we want to send as broadly as we can without hurting those deliverability KPIs. So with that being said, like if you're only sending to like a 30-day engaged audience, you're inflating your your rate numbers. So like your, your open rates, your click rates, your place order rates, all these rates look fantastic because you're only selecting the most engaged people. But on the flip side of that, if you think about it, there's tons of products that we buy every single day that we don't consume on a 30-day basis. And so by filtering out those users, we're missing out on dollars of like users that we've already acquired once. And um, you know, it's the whole reason why email is so powerful is because it's a much cheaper delivery platform, a much cheaper distribution than other forms, including SMS, including paid ads. And so if, if we're segmenting so refined that we're excluding these people, we're losing out on dollars. We're losing out on a really effective form of communication with these users. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned SMS. We're seeing the rise of this as a viable channel for building on the customer relationship. In your view, is SMS an acquisition strategy or is it better utilized as a customer, a customer nurturing tactic once someone has actually purchased something? 
Yeah, I lean much more on the acquisition side. And the way I look at both email and SMS channels is that they're they're an own channel, but they're also a dependent channel. And so paid ads, paid search, paid social, uh, or organic traffic, your like all, all the different ways that people get onto your site, that's how they're getting onto your email and SMS list. Um, and so these should be multipliers of your acquisition efforts. Um, a really recent example, we work with this company called Dose. When they came on, they had a, a really poor opt-in rate. We helped them improve their opt-in rate. It doubled their rate of list growth, which allowed them to increase their paid ad spend, which became a, a flywheel. I think over a certain time frame, I think we 4X their daily users that they were opting into their email list. And that's huge in Q3 because we're, we're immediately going to reap those benefits in Q4, but it's something that we should really look across the whole entire year. I'm chatting with Jacob Sappington, Director of Email Strategy at Homestead Studio. I hope you're enjoying our conversation. And if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow Shopify Masters wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review or feedback for the show. It helps our audience find us. Thanks so much. Jacob, if you were advising a a B2C e-commerce startup and the challenge here was how to best build a funnel and how to best build your list, what strategies or tactics would you suggest that they implement first? I mean, start collecting right from the start. That goes for email and SMS. Um, even if you don't plan to launch an SMS program today, at the bare minimum, you should be setting up some form of collection for both email and SMS, um, set up in a way that doesn't hurt the conversion of the other. So tactically, we do that by setting up email on one page of a pop-up and then SMS on the second page of the pop-up. And then once you've got those users coming into your CRM, setting up the bare basics, like a, a welcome series, a browse abandon, an abandon checkout, and like a post-purchase sequence. So like four different flows where you're collecting people at the moment of user acquisition onto your list with that welcome series. It's going to be your broadest flow. And so you're just looking at it from a top-down approach. It's the, the flow that like adjustments to can have the biggest impact across the rest of your business. Um, and then you're also collecting those bottom of funnel users in that abandon checkout. But oftentimes for a lot of brands, this can be a really, really small portion of their audience. And so bringing in that browse abandon, which is just um, based off of a, like a viewed product trigger. So like looking at a certain item brings in a slightly lower level of intent user, but at a higher volume. And so like those are like the three main pre-purchase flows that I'd want to see them set up. And then the last one being that post-purchase sequence, setting the expectations, teach them how to use your product, teach them how to care for your product, whatever it is. A lot of times retention is directly driven by the product itself, but on email and SMS, we have this opportunity to talk about just anything they need to know about your product that helps them use it better and, and increase their likelihood of repeating. Okay, so we'll talk about sequences more in just a sec. Collecting an email via a pop-up versus collecting a cell phone number. I think there's a lot of merchants that may not have perfect clarity here as to how best to capture a user's cell phone number versus an email. Email seems to be ubiquitous. I mean, most merchants understand how important that is. But on the SMS side, I still think there's some ambiguity about how to best capture a customer's cell phone and how to market to them. Can you just describe that in more detail? Yeah. So a major component of like list growth strategies for us is like the actual build behind the pop-ups that we're setting up. This directly affects SMS. So we're looking at what we call a micro yes, where we're asking someone if they want to receive the offer prior to us asking them to input their email. Then we're asking them to input their email. And then the next step is SMS. Again, separating those two steps out. Mm-hmm. So on that SMS page, 
We're communicating the same offer. We're giving them the option to not opt into SMS if they don't want to. But if we make it optional, we see on average that like half of the email subscribers end up subscribing to SMS. One thing that I wanted to double click on because I think it's an interesting concept for a lot of these Shopify merchants is this idea of um, a micro yes. So I would assume that a majority of brands don't use this micro yes strategy. They just go right for the jugular in terms of asking for the email. Um, what is a micro yes? Yeah, so it's another page before you say enter your email here. It's just something as simple as saying, do you want 10% off? Um, or maybe something like, are you, what are you shopping for today? And then having some options for like different categories or collections that you have. The main idea here is that you're asking like a really small leading question that someone's really likely to say yes to, and then it gets them bought in a little bit. We utilize this for, I think, probably every single brand that we have. But the question that we get asked is, are you sure it's not just people who are clicking yes, who who are showing up as like increased opt-ins? And we've tested this time and time again. We've you know back-checked the actual emails coming in versus the, the volume that the analytics say. And each time we see that, yes, it's the people who complete that second step, who actually go ahead and enter their email. And so um, as marketers, we're taught that the more steps we add, the less conversion we have. But this runs completely contrary to that. Um, and it says we add a step and we get additional conversion rates here. Clavio continues to gain market share. They went public in September. They sit at about a $7 billion market cap, I think, at this point. Um, but other folks you know, might be interested in understanding what separates Clavio from MailChimp, from some other systems. You did mention the um, connection and ease of integration with respect to Shopify, but is there a type of company that is best suited to use Clavio versus some other system or tool? Yeah, I would say like highly e-commerce focused. Um, that, that's like the, the biggest distinguisher for me. Like I would say like the difference between like a Clavio and a MailChimp is pretty, pretty night and day. I mean, MailChimp also just released their own SMS product. I haven't mm-hmm. been able to check it out myself, but um, segmentation abilities, integration abilities, list growth abilities, Clavio really laps the field on email. Um, on SMS, they're catching up to who I deem to be like the, the top two like feature-rich platforms of Attentive and PostScript. And so they're, they're making headway there. Okay, so let's get back to the sequences. So a lot of brands don't necessarily know how to best craft a welcome series, for example, um, and how a welcome series might differ from a customer nurture series or some other type of series. There's lots of questions about how many emails should actually be in a welcome series. Some marketing experts suggest that a welcome series should have, say, four to five touch points over a span of 15 to 25 days. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that. What do you recommend? Yeah, I would say the general framework of like four to five emails over a one to two week time frame is a good base level to start with. Um, the The biggest thing is just like reading the engagement, reading the data. If we see a brand on the on the fifth email still has a, a 3% click rate and they're still getting engagement, they're still getting place orders, then by all means, extend it. Like your product probably has like a longer purchase consideration window mm-hmm. and you should be messaging that out over a longer time frame. On the flip side though, most brands see two pretty key moments in the welcome series when someone opts in. So again, it's that acquisition of someone saying that I'm coming from paid, I'm coming from organic social, I'm getting onto your email list for this offer, I'm purchasing right away. So that's like the major spike that you'll see in a welcome series. 
The other one will most often be whenever you're kind of reiterating the offer um, or perhaps trying to put some constraints on the offer. Like, hey, just as a reminder, your offer ends tomorrow or your offer ends today. Um, or maybe there's an, there's an offer upgrade in there as well. But for the most part, a lot of the brands that I've personally audited is that you see like a major spike at the beginning, which makes sense, and then a spike at the end as well. You should still be communicating the offer in every single email, whether that's just like introducing the founders, doing some more product exploration, talking about why you're different than your competitors. The offer can and should still live in all those marketing messages, but just naturally you're going to see the best performance out of the first email and then kind of whenever you reintroduce a higher level of urgency. What about the design of the of these emails? So you did mention, um, you know, Merchant could have this incredible design uh, and copy, but still the email won't get the open rate that they desire. Um, lots of questions about how to create sections within an email, how many sections, the use of graphics, videos, text, how much text, the use of call to action buttons. Again, how many CTA buttons are most appropriate? What can you share? Yeah, we try to keep a pretty simple approach. There's this thought in email marketing community. It's like one email, one objective, one CTA. Mm. Um, so we try to stick to that. The idea is you shouldn't go from like shop this collection to check out our charity work to check out what our founder's doing. Unless it's like a newsletter format where that's kind of expected. Um, you, you should keep a cohesive thought. And if you have multiple thoughts that are randomly into an email, you should separate into multiple emails. Um, mm. But the big thing is we design using... Figma, we take image slices, we export them, we compress them, we drop them into Clavio. Um, what this allows us to do is it allows us to control for brand better. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but custom fonts are incredibly fickle in email inboxes. And I would say for the bulk of our clients, Gmail makes up 50% or more of their audience, and Gmail doesn't allow custom fonts. And so you're from the start already running into an issue of like, how am I going to render in the inbox? Is my brand going to be represented in a way that I don't really want it to be represented? And so by using image slices and compressing, we're taking a small hit in terms of deliverability. Again, deliverability is kind of like this black box that no one really knows everything about. But the thought is that live text helps you get into the inbox better. But what we believe is that the, the trade-offs by rendering correctly how we expect it to render um, by being on brand by being able to introduce other design elements that you can create in figma that you just can't create in a live inbox we think that outweighs the the concerns on deliverability there you did mention something that i find really interesting which is this idea of this mishmash of topics and maybe it's best to have an offer plus some sort of charitable initiative that the founder is involved in as part of a newsletter, but not necessarily part of some other type of email. When I was doing some research before this discussion, there's sort of like five key messaging strategies, I want to say, that most brands are using with respect to email marketing. And I just want to highlight some of these and we can discuss them. Um, one is personalization, two is emotion, three urgency, four social proof, and five storytelling. Um, my question around this is, are there certain types of messages that move the needle on open rates more than others? For example, seems like consumers are a bit tired of the urgency promotional fodder, like get it now before the price goes back up or get this discount within the next few days. Is this the case? Is it not the case? What are you seeing? As long as a brand doesn't take advantage of it, we see that offers, sales, products, like those kinds of launches perform exceptionally well. Hmm. 
The other piece around that is that we're, for the most part, very intentional about our subject lines around sales. And so even if we are accepting of a lower open rate, we're expecting that the people who are who are opening that email know what they're getting into. And so an example would be like, hey, third percent site wide sale starts now, something like that. It's there's like no ambiguity there whatsoever. You know what's going on in the email um, before you even open it. And so even if we do expect a lower open rate, ultimately we, we care about driving revenue and driving business impact there. Yep. Uh, that totally makes sense. Um, this idea of subject line intentionality, I find is quite interesting. Are there best practices here around how to get the most out of your subject line? Yeah. And the challenging part here is that due to the iOS 15 features we talked about earlier, it's just really, really difficult to A-B test subject lines anymore. Like if I A-B test something, I don't know if this is like audience A is 70% Apple privacy open users and 30% Apple privacy users in the B section. And so I feel like you should have to take every single subject line with a grain of salt. Whereas if you're testing like two campaigns against each other that are going to the same audience and they're just delayed by a couple days, then you can say that like, hey, the subject line outperformed the other one. Um, but, but then you're introducing the variable of like a different date, a different time. So there's some challenges there as well. I think the, the biggest no-no that I advise against with subject lines is like, like a bait and switch thing. I remember last year, I, I can't believe someone did this. I remember someone saying 90% off, open this email type thing. This is a, a major brand. And you get into the inside the email and it says, psych, we make our products with really good ingredients. You should know better that we would never mark our products out by 90%. And I'm sure their open rate, I'm sure their click rate was fantastic. I think it wasn't until you clicked onto the website that you found out that they were doing this massive bait and switch. I'm not a consumer of their brand. I'm not in their um, target market, but I'm sure their, their users were not happy. What other metrics should merchants be tracking besides open rates, besides click-through rates? Yeah, I would say those are the two of the leading ones there. Also, place order rates, click-to-open rates are, are good as well. And I think the biggest thing with each of these is comparing them against your own brand over an extended period of time. Clavio has these benchmarks within their platform, which I find wholly unhelpful because clients ask, why is my click rate below the industry average? It's, it's metrics without context that we, that we just don't have. And so what I encourage our clients to do is like, hey, we've seen historically that your welcome series gets clicked at this rate. We made these adjustments. Now they're up or down and, you know, and, and evaluating through it through that lens. And so, um, yeah, open rate, click rate, place order rate, revenue per recipient. Those are probably like the top four that we, that we keep our eyes on, um, but mostly comparing against our own numbers. To expand on that, there's actually times... And I, and I told this to a client last year who came on and they're still with us today. I told them, we're going to lower your open rates. We're going to lower your click rates and you're going to make more money because of it. Um, because they were sending to, I think, a third of the people that we sent to today because their deliverability was in a bad place. And so we said, hey, you have, you have dirty data right now. So we're going to drop your open rate by 20%. You have, you're sending to a really refined audience. So we're going to take your click rate from a 0.4%. And we're probably going to take it down to like a 0.3%. They're in a really competitive industry. Um, and so that they are, they started with a really low click rate. And objectively, any agency who gets into their account is going to say, 
wow, your agency is doing a disservice. You have one of the worst click rates I've ever seen. And then I would say, but look at the revenue trend over time. Um, and so I think the important thing is just to like understand how these metrics change over time and what, what variables uh, play a factor in that. I mean, obviously you want these metrics to impact revenue at the end of the day, or it's sort of all for naught. Your agency helped Hexclad double sales in one year, um, which is incredible. Could you share yeah. what the main email or SMS strategies were there that contributed to that outcome? They're on a rocket ship. They have a fantastic product and a great team built out there. So the, the big thing that we came into was that they were giving up margin on every single order for their email and SMS program. It was an offer that the market didn't deem to be good. And so they were getting a, a poor opt-in rate. So not very many people were coming into the funnel. And once people signed up for that offer, they were giving up an additional margin on top of their already discounted prices. So they're kind of like a double-edged sword there. You're not getting good opt-in rates and you're giving up margin. The flip side of that was that the people who were signing up were converting. But what our focus was, was like, let's grow the list. Let's build out your foundation of flows. And then on the campaign side, they've went through this phase of more product. They've grown their product line a lot. And so we've previously, they just didn't send a ton of campaigns. They were a small team and they were resource constrained around sending campaigns. And so every single campaign they did performed exceptionally well. And now we're just sending on a consistent basis. We're constantly in the inbox, whether that's with blog content, influencer content, product content, new bundles that we're launching. And so the big thing is we want to make sure that like we're collecting users at a good rate. That once we get them collected, that we're um, converting them both on the pre-purchase and post-purchase side. And then once all that's taken care of, we also want to make sure that we're just staying in the inbox consistently through campaigns. And so um, fantastic product that just didn't have a foundation set up on email and SMS yet. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. Jacob, thanks for coming on today. Where could folks continue to follow you and what you're up to on social? Yep. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at jsappington um, and then check out our website at homesteadstudio.co. Awesome. Thanks, Jacob. Congrats on the success of Homestead and wishing you the best for the upcoming holiday season. Thanks, Adam. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Entrepreneurs Exposed is brought to you by Scriberbase. Build your subscription business and thrive. More at scriberbase.com. If you like what you heard today, don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your audio. It helps our audience find us. You can also visit us at glow.fm forward slash e2 to become a supporter until next time make today count with whatever it is you're working on electric acid welcome to tuning into sound well-being where we harmonize your mind body and soul I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. 
Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.